If you and I who believe in God were to be given one request that we could make to God, any one request, and to know that that is the only request we could make and it will be answered for sure, I don't think we would have to think very long before most of us, if we thought through it, would be saying, I want forgiveness. I mean, if I get anything else and everything else, but I, there's no forgiveness, then I've lost everything. You know, it's a central teaching of Scripture is that man can be forgiven, and there is the hope of forgiveness of all because of the work that God did in sending His Son, Jesus. He paid the penalty. You know the story, most of you. He paid the penalty by His death on the cross, and our sins are taken by Him. They're paid for. His righteousness given to us, we're forgiven. It's the central teaching of all God's Word. In this series, we now come to the topic of forgiveness, and it's found in verse 12 of Matthew 6. It's the story of the Lord's Prayer, having talked about God's honor and God's kingdom, and then we've talked about God's provision. Now we turn to His, for, His uh, forgiveness. And so Matthew 12, 6, 12 reads, And forgive us our debts... And that's the first half of what we look at today. Forgive us our debts. We are to seek forgiveness. As we also have forgiven our debtors, and we are to grant forgiveness. It's a both and. We should seek forgiveness even as we grant forgiveness. Get ready. This text is going to take it to the heart of many of us in our own life situations and reveal to us such a need that we carry for both gaining and granting forgiveness. So we'll take each of these and uh, we'll start with the first. God expects his followers to seek forgiveness from him. I invite you to turn to 1 John chapter 1 beginning in verse 5. If you have your Bibles, 1 John 1 verse 5. As you look that up, we need to be aware that one of the greatest predators of our wholeness, our physical well-being, our happiness is this thing called guilt. It's not the only contributor, but it is a significant contributor for many who experience anxiety, insomnia, depression, Many that experience suicide, drug addiction, alcoholism, not to mention all kind of hormonal and enzyme imbalances, metabolic rates that are out of proportion because of this one thing called guilt, uh, blood disorders, digestive problems. I mean, the story goes on and on, and that's not my opinion, and that's medical reality. That when people experience guilt, there is something happens to their whole being. And so we have to deal with guilt, and there's one way, and only one way to deal with it, and that is finding forgiveness. Regardless of what we've done, we can never change the past, but we can find forgiveness in what we've done in the past. The background of 1 John is fairly simple. John is now an older man toward the end of his life in ministry. John is writing to a people who are caught up in a, a lot of erroneous teaching. In fact, 
Uh, many of these were involved in what was called Gnosticism. Many of you have heard of Gnosticism. It's the, it's the belief that if you have an enlightenment, Gnosis is knowledge, if you have a, an enlightened experience with God, that's all that counts. You can sin, you can do whatever you want to do, and you're okay with God. Your fellowship with God is fine. It's not broken. Just make sure you've had the Gnosis, the experience. Many people today kind of feel the same way. Well, as long as you prayed the prayer and you were sincere and you had your little prayer time, that, that's what counts. And if so, now you're okay with God. Uh, you know, yeah, you're not as close to him as you should be, but you can still be fine and so forth. And uh, that's the big deal. Just did you pray your prayer? Well, the reality was that there were a lot of things being taught wrong. And John says, I've got to address those things. And so he does it. And, and what I'm going to pull out of the text is five very, very, very important realities regarding this thing called forgiveness. They will be simple to many of us as Christians. But I hope you don't just take dismiss it and say, well, yeah, I, I know that. No, no, there's, there's a lot. You put this together. This should be carried with us perhaps. I, I, I can't memorize it. I've, I came up with it. But you almost have to have it written down to review and think over and over it. This is so vitally important. So I'm going to walk through the five very quickly as we walk through the text and see what John is trying to say to them and to us. And so, let's look at it, number one. First, that sin breaks fellowship with God. The people were saying it didn't. He said it does. This is how he tells it to us in verse 5. And this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light. Now, you need to understand whenever he talks about light here, he's talking about light in terms of knowledge, truth, and purity the way we live. And he says, God is truth and he is holy, righteous. As a result, he is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Move to verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, that is without truth and without purity, we lie and we do not practice the truth. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, and light to walk means to live, we have fellowship with one another. There's the first byproduct of walking in the light with him. We have fellowship with other people who are Christians. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So there's cleansing and there's fellowship as byproducts of that. So that takes us to the second teaching. That sin is a part of every believer's life, verses 8 and 10. If you look at verse 8 first, it says, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, I would say, I'm going to just guess, let's say 99%, 98%, I don't know. I would suggest if all the Bible is understood just by reading it with awareness and clarity and thoughtfulness and maturity, you can understand the Bible. That gets easier as you grow older in the faith and understand more truth. But it's designed, it's given as a letter. You read the letter and you understand the vast, vast, vast majority of what is meant to be said. There are some exceptional places in Scripture where it's very difficult. But I will say this, that 1 or 2%, don't know how much, but there are places in Scripture that without a knowledge of the original language, you wouldn't really get what is truly being said. This is one of those places. Here we come to, if we say that we have no sin, 
Whenever that word sin is in the Scripture, it either has an article, in English we call it the or a, it either has an article in front of it or it doesn't. In this case, it does not. So it doesn't say the sin. If we say that we have no the sin versus sin, we know that here, without the article, it means the sin nature. When you make it plural and you put the article in front of it, now we're talking about a specific sin that we have committed that is, finds its root in the sin nature. Well, these people that, that John is writing to, they're not saying, oh, I never sin, I never do anything wrong. They would say it doesn't break fellowship with God because I have the gnosis, I have the experience, the enlightenment. But they would say, I have sins, but I don't have a sin nature now. The enlightenment eradicated the sin nature. It's gone now. Well, is that not what we try to teach today in so many places, in churches even? We're hearing people that are Christians saying, well, yeah, I realize they're doing these, these sinful things, but the truth of it is, I, I don't know that we should call it sin because they were kind of born with that propensity to that. Or, well, you know, I think it's a, a psychological disorder. Or, you know, that addiction, you know what it really is? It's a disease. Let's not call it what it is. Let's call it a disease. That's a better way to look at it. And, and we have now put so many aspects of disobedience into some realm of other than sin. There's a theology that I've been confronted with on many occasions through the years that's become very popular. Many of us are probably touching it, running into it various places and don't even realize. But it's a, a very popular theology called exchange life theology. And our exchange, they would say, does away with the old nature. We have the new, and the old is done away with. I mean, it's gone. It's the same teaching here. Though with people that are very, very much seeking obedience, don't get me wrong, but still the root issue of let's do away with the sin nature. We can find a way to dismiss it out of the picture. Well, let me tell you, when you do that, other things follow that you don't want to be involved in thinking. So you want to be careful there. You want to be very careful. Now, verse uh, 10 says, if we say that we have not sinned, have no sin nature, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So let's move to number three. This is a critical one here. We must, or sin must be confessed to be forgiven. And that's a very familiar text, 1 John 1, 9. I want you to look at this with me. It says, if we confess our sins... Now, we've got the article and the plural. This is talking about specific sins. As we see a sin in our life, an experience that we have, and we confess it, then we are forgiven. I don't want you to misunderstand here. I, I, even in the service of worship, I made comment on the fact that it's not our confessing as an act of merit that brings forgiveness. God says, okay, now, now that you did this, I'll do that in the sense of I'll come back into uh, a relationship where I can accept you. It's not acceptance. We are fully and always accepted because of the work of Christ. We sin. The sweetness of fellowship is broken. 
but the acceptance remains forever. If a true child of God, you will forever be accepted, regardless of the sin. Will fellowship be broken? Yes. How is that restored? Well, just confess. Does God already know? Yes. It's not that you're telling him something he doesn't know, but he says, if you'll come and confess to me, then I will forgive. And that confession carries the idea not just of admitting, okay, I admit that it's wrong. I admit it's wrong. Okay. I'm going to do it again tomorrow, but I admit it's wrong. No. It's wrong. And Lord, oh, I pray and hope and plan not to do it again. Could I fall again? Oh, yes, I can. But that's not my intention at all. And it's come to that point where we say, I'm coming back to your love and say that your love is really enough. When we do that, what we've done wrong is not erased. It's not that it hasn't happened. But we have guilt because of what we've done, and it is taken away. Small illustration, just this morning. I was running a bit late from when I like to be on schedule. I was getting ready to leave, and, and I realized I'd forgotten something at my hotel in Dallas. And I thought, if I don't call now, who knows it could be discarded. Number two, I'll forget maybe later. So I'm going to just call right now. It can't take me a minute or two. So I get the phone number that is listed for this particular hotel, and I call. And I realize immediately I'm in a different country, and I'm talking to someone who does not have English as a first language. And I cannot understand half of what they're saying. And I said, I'm sorry, but if you could slow down, I don't quite understand. I said, I'm trying to call this particular hotel. I do not need a reservation. I just need the number. Can you give it to me? And they said, I think they said yes. And, um, I, I, but they said, hold. And I said, okay. And then they just left me holding. And I thought, do they not have the tele? I mean, surely it can't take. And they come back and said, Yes, we found that hotel, and uh, it is in such and such a part of Dallas. I said, yes, ma'am, I know that. I was there. I was there, but I left something. Can I, I just need the telephone number to call them. All right, hold on just one minute. Now, something's going on in me that shouldn't be going on. And I know it. I thought, I'm just saying, seriously, this is happening? Can you not? So they came back. And then I would say, are you still there? And I'm thinking, I don't know why I am, but, <laughs> but I said, I am. And they said, well, um, yes, this is located at, and they gave me the address of the street address. I said, ma'am, I don't need the street address. Now, my voice is getting a little faster, a little louder. I said, I'm needing the telephone number. That's all I need is the telephone number. Okay. And there's a pause. Sir... Would you like for me to book your reservation? <laughs> and I go, ma'am, I do not need a reservation. I needed the phone number, and that's all I needed. Forget it. I don't need anything. I'll get it on my own. And I hung up. Well, I don't know when I've talked to anybody like that in a long, long, long time. I, I mean, that's not my manner of talking to people. I thought, how, how rude how inappropriate to treat someone like she's trying to help me she's slow and she's not effective <laughs> but she's trying to help and and she's not trying to hurt me in any form or fashion but immediately immediately i had a deep sense of guilt 
And my first thought, I could just hear the accuser, and you're going to preach. You can get that off, you know, so quickly just by somebody, and, and you're going to tell. And I just had this guilty sense. What did I do? I had to go right to the Lord then and say, God, what I've done is wrong. I admit that. Should have never let that happen, but I did. And I want you to know, I don't, I don't want to do it again. It'll never be my intention, but I made this little prayer. I said, Lord, I just slipped into a moment where I thought, if I didn't have my way, then I couldn't be as happy otherwise. And the truth of it is, your love should make me happy. That's enough for me. So sorry. You know, now, the reality was the guilt was dealt with. I could, I could have a sense, I'm forgiven by God. I still feel badly that I did that to the lady, but, but the guilt is dealt with. That's confession of sin, and it's moment by moment. There was the sins. This is sins now, the specific. And so when they come up, you say, okay, how do I deal with them? And you pray and deal with the guilt. Now, we want to turn now to number four in our list. Number four, important as well. Sin's penalty must be paid by our advocate. Look at 1 John 2, the first two verses. It reads this way. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, there's the sins, sins. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation, hard word I'll explain, for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. So let's make sure we understand this. It says if anyone sins, right there it says if anyone sins, that is in the tense called the aorist, and it means that which is past, it's not, in other words, it's not an ongoing type of habitual sin nature that just continues. He said, no, we're not dealing with that. That might be an evidence of someone not even being a Christian. Maybe, don't know. But this is in the tense that says, okay, here's a sin, here's what's been done, and here's what we do. We go, and when we go before the Lord, we have an advocate with the Father. The Father, God the Father, who is our advocate? You would know, wouldn't you? Who's the advocate? Jesus is our advocate. And it says it very clearly afterwards. It says, Jesus Christ the righteous, the one qualified to be our advocate. What does an advocate do? An advocate pleads our case. It's a legal term. It's one that's pleading for us before the Father saying, Father, and then there's your name, my name, your name. And it's thrown into the picture. It says, oh, Father, he just sinned. He just did that was wrong. But you know what? He's cleansed by my blood. He's forgiven already. But the relationship is restored. There needs to be no guilt. Guilt is the greatest gift God could give to us. With guilt, we recognize the sin that we have to deal with. But it has to be dealt with or it pays heavy price. If you go on in the text, it says the propitiation for our sins. That word means appeasement. Appeasement of anger, and it's teaching that God has an anger, a wrath, ready to be revealed, as Romans 1.18 says, against all unrighteousness who suppressed the truth of God in unrighteousness. Boy, that wrath is ready to flow over, we read in Scripture, but for us as Christians, it's held back. The appeasement has taken place. That is... There is absolutely no concern that you or I as Christians ever have to worry about God's wrath. We'll never see it. We'll never know it. That's good news. In fact, it says the sins of the whole world. And don't, don't misread that and say, okay, here is a, 
a basic teaching of, of universalism. Everybody's ultimately saved. See, it says so right here, the sins of the whole world. No, this means for anyone. There's no people that if we come to him and repent that, that he will not accept us and he'll hold back the wrath for anybody who comes from any place throughout the world. That is his great love. Which takes us to number five, and that is sin's forgiveness is evidenced by obedience. Here we come to verses 3 through 6, and it reads like this. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. It's not because we keep his commandments that we get to know him. It's if we know him, we will keep his commandments. Not to perfection, but there will be a sense of guilt if we don't and a desire for if, for uh, uh, forgiveness. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God, and that should read the love for God. This is not talking about his love being perfected, but our love for him is perfected as we keep his word. By this we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now, please just keep in mind that, that this is the, the understanding. As we, as we walk, we should be obedient. It doesn't mean there's no disobedience. It doesn't mean that we don't struggle big time with sin and, and still be a Christian. It's that we've been walking this way in life, living to life to the glory of self, and when we repented, change of mind, we turned, and now we're moving this direction. Now, we may be moving awfully slowly and just like this, barely moving, but we're moving. There's obedience. Not as great obedience as we would hope, but there's obedience. And then what, is, what happens to every one of us? We back up. Some of us make a huge stumble backwards. During that stumble, you can't tell, is that a Christian or is it not? Hard to tell by the way they live. But the way we know we're Christian, there will be fruit. There will be light. There will be truth in the midst of our stumbling backwards. You know what it looks like? Oh, God, I'm so sorry for what I've done. I feel badly. I need to stop, but I, I don't. Where's the power? Why am I not? And we keep stumbling backwards. But it's not like I'm going backwards and let's go for it. This is what I want in life. This is good. No problem with this. That person who says he's in the light, no. That person would say that's the liar. The truth is not in them. So we should know that there should be obedience, but it doesn't mean a perfect obedience. It doesn't mean that you don't stumble. It means there should be obedience in the walk. Okay? Now, I want to put a pause right here. And I want us to, to have a minute to, to just pray. I want us to pray. And let me lead you in prayer for just a quick moment about this whole idea of receiving forgiveness. I bet you that if we just rehearse in our thinking right now for a moment, something is coming to mind saying, this is an area that I'm being disobedient right now. Many of you know I'm dealing with issues in life, and I just sense today that it's guilt that's causing some of my problems. I know there are things that are unresolved I've not dealt with, and I need to. And I think now I'm ready. I want to ask forgiveness. And I want to know I'm forgiven. So I want to give you an opportunity if something's burdened your heart because you know there's sin that has not been confessed. 
then let's, let's confess it right now and let's accept the forgiveness that he has to offer. Let's pray again. Our Father, in this brief moment, we, we know the good news of what you've done for us. And some of us here know that we've never known any forgiveness ever of you because we're not yours. The evidence of life says, I may claim an experience of the past, but I don't have a, I don't have a relationship with you. And I want it now. I want to ask you to indwell my heart right this moment. I want forgiven of all of my sins so that now I'm accepted by you forever and ever. Lord, some of us are your children. We know that we have been stumbling of late. We know we're yours, but we've been disobedient. The things we've been saying, the things we've been thinking, the things we've been watching, the things we've been doing. We know some things that are in our minds now, and whatever they are, Father, hear us as we just say, God, would you forgive me for that? I want to come back to your love. I want to believe right now your love is enough. I don't need that in order for life to be what I need it to be. Forgive me for believing otherwise. And thank you for your forgiveness. We're grateful for it, and we ask in Jesus' name, amen takes us to the other side now, the idea of granting forgiveness. Once we gain forgiveness, that's the reason by which we would say, how would I not now want to give or grant forgiveness? Number two, God expects his followers to grant forgiveness to others. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21. We talked about how guilt is a, a predator to our well-being. Well, so is bitterness. The first is is gained by or is dealt with by means of forgiveness from God. Now we deal with bitterness, anger, resentment, and so forth by granting forgiveness to other people. There are two realities taught in this uh, great parable. The first is this, that forgiven people are recipients of God's grace and mercy. And this is what, this is what Jesus is really teaching, though he uses a story to do it. So let's read through verse 27. It goes like this. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And by the way, that doesn't mean, okay, 490 that just means it just keeps going. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, there was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had in repayment to be made. The slave therefore falling down prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. If we wanted to put this in kind of a common story, it would be, okay, here's the VP of the company, embezzles $10 million. The CEO and chairman of the board finds out, comes to him and says, all right, you're out of here. And the guy says, oh, please don't do that. If, if I'm out, I, there'll never be a way that I can, that I can 
get another job based on this experience. And, and uh, I, I don't know what to do. I, I'll be left without. And he said, left without nothing. You're going to jail. And he said, jail, please don't put me in jail. Absolutely. Either you pay up or you go to jail. In fact, I don't care if you do pay up. You're going to jail. All he can do is say, oh, please don't do that. Have mercy on me. Mercy is God not giving me or, or not being given what we deserve. In the case with God, it's God not giving us what we deserve. This is the story of our lives. You and I have this incomprehensible debt that just keeps clicking. It's like a meter that just runs around. Everything we say wrong, think wrong, everything we do wrong, it just keeps collecting over and over. Stuff we don't even know about, stuff we do know about, it's just going on and on and on and on. And we have no means to pay that debt, not one means. And there is a moral audit that's coming at some point in time for every one of us, and we will have no hope whatsoever. And the truth of the gospel is that we have to come to the place to say, I can't pay off my moral debt. Many of us are trying to pay it off. I'll be good. I'll be religious. I'll go to church. I'll do good. Okay, whatever it is, I'll do it. I'll do it. No, he says, you've got to say, I can't do it. You fall at my mercy, and when that happens, now you're ready to talk business. You fall at my, just plead my grace, giving you what you don't deserve. Mercy, not giving you what you do deserve. You just plead it. Then you will find my love. Then you find forgiveness. It is a great, great story, but the story doesn't end there. It goes further, and so we see the final point here. It is expected that recipients of God's grace and mercy will be willing dispensers of the same. You see, it's expected. If we receive God's great grace, wouldn't we dispense that grace and mercy and forgiveness to someone else? Beginning verse 28, this is how we read it. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me. I will repay you. But he was unwilling, went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So the story is... All right, so the VP is put back in his position. He's restored to his, his place of employment. And then he finds out that there is an employee that owes him 100 bucks. And he goes to him and says, hey, I need my 100 bucks. He says, well, I don't have 100 bucks. All right, well, go to prison, man. I don't care. I'll throw you in jail. Is that, how could a person do that who's just been forgiven 10 million and is going to hold someone for $100 who plays the same mercy? Oh, are you serious? The reality is, how could we as Christians not forgive? And people say, you mean, you expect me to forgive the person who insulted me? Are, are you talking about me forgiving that person who took from me what was rightfully mine? Or do you mean that you think I should be forgiving to the person who deserted me in my life experience? The person who divorced me for another person and ran off against, you expect me to forgive them? No way. And the scriptures would say, wait, Matthew 6, 12, Lord, you forgive me even as I forgive my debtors. What would cause us to be forgiving? It's the reality of the greater forgiveness. And I dare say, I think some of us are probably living as if 
we didn't remember we'd been forgiven. Or maybe that we had earned the forgiveness we got from God. But he'd say, no. As Christians, we should be the most forgiving people alive. No one should compare in how we forgive. I will say most teaching ends at this point. And I say, now, forgive your, forgive your people that wronged you. Go tell them. Go tell them, forgiven. Go tell them, forgiven. Go tell them, forgiven. Well, your pastor of your church is going to say, don't you do that. Not necessarily. There may be a place in time, but there may not be. And so what we need to do is look at Ephesians 4.32. Here's the model. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. And it says forgiving each other. And notice how. He tells us how to. Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Well, how did he forgive you? When you were born, did he say, forgiven? You're one of those sinners. You're forgiven. Everybody, whoever. Everybody, everybody, you're all forgiven. No, he does not do that. There's a way that he does forgive. There's a sense in which he says, all, all of you that have messed over me so badly, that are my enemies, I've done you no wrong, you've only wronged me. I'll say to you, I'm ready, open arms, you come to me and I'll accept you and forgive you of every sin. But at the same time, it's not without condition. There has to be, there has to be repentance. Even as we are forgiven, can we come to him and say, I'm not going to repent of my sin, Lord, but won't you accept me? He says, no, you've got to repent of your sins. So maybe to put it simply, to help us kind of categorize or think about it, I want you to think about two expressions of forgiveness and figure out what should you be utilizing. Number one is what I'm going to say, forgiveness, which is possessed. And all I mean there is there is a heart ready and willing to forgive. This is a divine transaction between you and the Lord only. It has nothing to do with the person that's offended you. You find this in Mark 11:25. It says, whenever you stand praying, isn't that interesting? He's not talking about when you go to your friend. Used to be your friend, now your enemy. He's not saying that. He says, whenever you stand praying, Forgive if you have anything against anyone. That's anything against anyone. That means everything that, it, that you've got. There's nothing that's an exception. So that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. That doesn't mean that, okay, uh, you forgive them and I'll do that. No, he's saying if you don't, are you really my child? If you, if you can't forgive people, if that's the way you live life, You've not, you must not have experienced. I can't forgive you because you must not have experienced the mercy that you think you've experienced. So it just says, be careful there. But there's also a forgiveness which is expressed. I don't know that I, did I finish reading the other, go back to the other verse. I, I want to, whoever stand praying, forgive anything against anyone so that your father is in heaven which also forgive you your transgressions. Now, let's turn now to the uh, express, and I want you to see Luke 17, 3 and 4. Luke 17, 3 and 4. It says, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Do you know in order to rebuke, rebuke a friend that sins against you, you've got to go to that person? 
there are many of us that won't go to people and say, oh, you know what, I can't, I'm not going to go to them. They ought to come to me. Well, the Bible says if you know you have something, someone has something against you, go to them. If you have something against someone else, it says go to them. Someone came up to me, one of our, one of our college students, and said, can I ask you a question? This is how I was offended in this way. And the people that have offended me are ravenous. They are so, the, the way, and, and they told the story. And I said, well, you know what? There's a time and there's a place, and it may not be now. The one exception when I wouldn't go to someone, the Proverbs say this. It says, better to rob a mother bear of her cubs than to rebuke a fool in their folly. If you truly know that this is what's going to happen if I go and they're just going to, you know, then it's not the time to go. But if you think there's some reasonable hope that maybe by my lovingly confronting and rebuking, maybe they'll see their sin and they'll be repentant. But the idea here, this is, a, this is not the heavenly transaction. This is a human transaction. And this is where you go to the person and you say, here's the way you've offended me. And when they say, I am so sorry. And you sense there that there is a remorse. They, they truly are sorry. Then you say, you are forgiven. And at that point, you treat them as if it had never happened. Does the pain go away? Nope, not necessarily. But the bitterness does. Pain will maybe stay for a lifetime. Bitterness, as soon as you forgive. In fact, when you stand before the Lord and you forgive them, that's when the bitterness leaves. When you go to them and you tell them you're forgiven, that's when their guilt can leave and relationship can be restored. That's forgiveness. The hardest experience in my life was when my father walked out of our family. One day, left a note, gone forever. And you've heard this story in the membership class. And I just remember thinking nothing could, could have been more painful to me at that moment in life. And uh, it, it was a while before we found my father and there was immorality and obviously desertion and divorce to my mother and all the things that go with that. And I, and I confronted him in the most loving way I think a, a son could, but by the grace of God, having been taught this sort of thing as a young Christian, I'd stood before the Father and said, I forgive. And I truly can say, I did not carry bitterness, anger. I, by the grace of God, it was because I'd learned to say, I need to forgive. I just need to forgive. You forgave me, why would I not forgive him? It didn't make the pain go away, though, I'll tell you that. When I confronted him, I said, you know, what you've done, do you realize he claimed to be a Christian for a while in his life? But, you know, I, I didn't sense he was. But I said, do you, do you admit what you've done is wrong? And he says, no, it's not wrong. In fact, God led me to do everything I did. I said, I can't agree with you. I just can't agree with you. And then his words, you're not going to let this be a factor or a problem in, in terms of, you're going to forgive me though, right? And I'd say, I, I can't. I want to forgive you. I can't tell you I want to, but I can't. I just can't. 
because you don't even, you don't even sense it's wrong. Well, does the pain go away? No. But no guilt, no resentment, no bitterness. And I say that with integrity. I, I truly, and I know why. It's because God's Word is true. And I believe this with all my heart. You never compromise truth for the sake of relationship. You just don't do that. It's not good. And parents, please know this. It's the same with us. You know, here, it's like a scale. It's like a balance. You put, you've got to put repentance and forgiveness in each of those two balances, in the, in the two trays as you would think of it as a balance. And, and you take away one and it goes this way. You take away the other, it goes that way. With children, you can't say, here are your privileges, no responsibilities, but here are your privileges. Oh, you'll ruin your child. Well, here are your responsibilities. You don't get any privileges. Just do what I tell you to do. You'll lose your child. And we are doing the loving thing when we say, here are the responsibilities I must insist upon for there to be this privilege. I have the privilege waiting and ready to give to you. I hope to give you forgiveness. But there's got to be repentance. They've got to go together. Because love is giving people what they need, not what they want. I will say this. Years later, one of the few contacts I had with my father, he said, you know what? I want to tell you I've been wrong. There can be forgiveness expressed then, right? So you got to find out, where is this person? And don't just randomly throw out forgiveness. Okay, I'm the great saint. I'll just say forgive, forgive, forgive. No, no, no. Do what's best for them. Not for you, but what's best for them. And what's best for them is best for you. So the good news is we end up a winner, right? I'm going to have us do this as we close. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And we're going to do what is said in Scripture. As you stand before the Lord, doesn't mean you have to stand to do so, obviously. Some of us can't even stand, and that's perfectly fine. But if we can, I'd like for us to stand, and I'd like for us to just do the very thing that we've been instructed to do, and that's to tell the Lord, Lord, I forgive that person. I'd like for you to bring to the screen of your remembrance right now anybody that you think, I'm in broken relationship right now with this person. And somebody's probably coming to our, every one of our minds and if that person does come to mind, there is someone in that situation, I want you to join me as I will pray for you and for me to say, Lord, it is my pledge of intention to go to them and to express the relational distortion that we're experiencing. And if there's confession on their behalf, I will forgive them because right now before you, I'm going to forgive them. And then we'll ask him to take away all the bitterness, all the resentment, and all the anger that may well be destroying our inner heart. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we ask you now, would you grant us to find a forgiving heart toward the people that we're thinking about right now? And we want to say to you, I forgive them. And you're my witness, God, that I have now declared to you that I forgive them. My heart ready to express forgiveness. And if I have the privilege to treat them as if they never did it to me. Thank you that though we can still have the pain, that it doesn't mean 
that we're not in true relationship with that person and true relationship with you because of what we've done today. And so, God, grant it, we pray, for the honor of your name, that your kingdom comes even in this relationship. And we ask it in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia, with services Saturday night at 6 and Sunday morning at 9 and 1045. Please visit our website for more information at www.perimeter.org. Be sure to visit the Media Resources section to give us your feedback and find other messages from our teaching team.